today I, I want to start by asking you a question and is your family like my family and when it comes to dishes and silverware and dinnerware uh, we got three kinds in, in our home we've got the everyday stuff that we use every single day uh, plates and bowls and forks and spoons and, and then we have the throwaway stuff right uh, that is plastic or paper that after you use it you just pitch it uh, but then we have the nice stuff, the china uh, that we got when we got married. And it is in a cabinet uh, that we move once a year to get to the pan that we cook the turkey in at, at Thanksgiving. We never use it, right? And maybe, maybe occasionally you take it out on a blue moon for a really nice uh, meal. But realistically, we never ever use it. It just sits there in the cabinet and collects dust. And, and in fact, when you go out to eat, one of the tells... Uh, about the restaurant that you're at is how much silverware they give you, right? Because the more silverware, the fancier the place. Uh, you, you don't get one fork, you get two forks, right? And I, in fact, I remember the first time as a child that my dad uh, took us to Steak and Ale. Anybody remember that place, Steak and Ale? That was fancy in Louisiana. And because uh, it was a step up from Western Sizzling. And uh, we went to Steak and L, and I remember looking at that. I was probably about eight or nine years old, and I looked at it and thought, two forks, two forks. I couldn't believe it because this guy was so on top of things, he knew I was going to drop one. And, and so he already had one laying there for me. And, and in fact, some places are, are so fancy, they give you too much silverware, right? That you sit down and you look at the forks and the spoons, and, and you think, I'm never going to use all of that, right? I'm not that hungry I don't need that much silverware. I took Ben, uh, my youngest boy, just a few weeks ago to a place like that. And uh, we had these conversations, just the two of us, and we were sitting there eating. And, and he looked at all of the silverware and he thought, this is nice. And uh, this is what life was supposed to be like. But at home, you, you put the plate down and the fork and the knife and the spoon are all on the same side uh, of the plate, but at fancy restaurants, they got a forks on one side, right, and knives on the other side, and, and then there's some weird forks that we don't know exactly what they're for. I've been to places, you've been to places, right, so fancy that they put forks in front of the plate, right, and, and on, not just on the sides, and, and I say all of that today to just to say to you, there's a difference between ordinary and extraordinary, and that you have ordinary and, and everyday utensils that you use at home, and, and then there is extraordinary. And when you have an extraordinary meal, you expect extraordinary utensils, right? And, and this can get really, really awkward if you don't know what to do with all of them, right? And you don't know uh, which one is used for what, but there's a place in the Bible where Paul talks about all this. He really does discuss all of these things. And Paul knows all of the etiquette, and he knows all about the utensils in fancy homes. If you got your Bible, turn over to 2 Timothy uh, in chapter 2. That's where we're going to go today, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And Paul is writing this letter uh, as an older pastor. And now he is writing to Timothy, this younger pastor. In fact, Paul hired Timothy to be the pastor at the church at Ephesus. And now he is pastoring this church as a young man, and he writes him a couple of letters, maybe more, uh, but we have two uh, in the Bible, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and he is teaching him. He is mentoring him in what it means to be a good or a godly pastor. And he's telling him, Timothy, I know it's tough. I know pastoring is difficult. I know you've got some critics, right? And, and I know you've got some problems in the church, but don't let anyone look down on you because you were young. 
And he says, Timothy, you may feel ordinary, but God's going to do something extraordinary in you, and he's going to do something extraordinary in your church. And, and so let's start reading. Let's look over Paul's shoulder uh, to Timothy as he's writing to him, and look in verse 20. And it says, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. And, and he's basically saying, and Timothy, let me guess which one you feel like most of the time. That most scholars believe that in, in these home, this big home or this wealthy home that Paul is talking about, he's referring to the church. And the local church and the global church. And in this big home, there, there are some things made of gold and silver, and there are some made of, uh, of uh, wood and clay. And, and sometimes we feel like gold and silver, and sometimes we feel like a plastic spork, right? And, and there are times when we feel like a million bucks, and there are times when we feel like the bank account is completely empty. And Paul is reassuring us here that it is not about how we feel. That it's not about our status, it's not about our class position, it's not about our ability, it's not about our ethnicity, it, there's something deeper going on. And Paul is coaching Timothy here, and if you feel ordinary, and if you feel like a plastic fork at times, that's okay, because God wants to do something extraordinary through you. And he's speaking to Timothy. And listen, I want you to hear me today as I say to you, he's not waiting for extraordinary people. He's looking for ordinary people who are willing. And it is the willing that God chooses to do extraordinary things through. And, and so let's keep reading. He, he says, some are for noble purposes and some are for ignoble. There are multiple translations of that particular verse, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Some translations say uh, some are used for everyday use, which is an okay translation, but it's not the best translation in my opinion. Other translations say some are used for honorable use, some are used for dishonorable use. I think that's a better uh, translation of what's happening in the Greek there. And some of you women, you watch these cooking shows, right? And some of you men do too. I've known to watch a few of them when football is not on. And, but, but you've noticed, or I've noticed, one of the things that happens in, in those cooking shows is uh, she or he will have this bowl. It's called the trash bowl or the garbage bowl, right? And so they're cutting up all these vegetables or leftovers or meat or whatever. They trim the fat, and they throw all of this in this garbage bowl. And when they're done cooking, they toss the whole thing. And, and that's kind of what Paul is getting at here. He's referring to this garbage bowl, right? And he says some of these things are reserved for special occasions. Some of these utensils or some of these pots or pans or bowls are for other purposes. And it says everyday use but it really means something else than that that they're not used for eating these utensils are used a couple of hours later are you tracking with me and do you understand what it is that Paul is trying to communicate here I'm trying to be diplomatic about it as are the Bible translators because they say everyday use or dishonorable use when what Paul means is toilet what Paul is talking about here is a toilet, and, and he's saying some of these are used as toilets. That's what he's talking about. And there was a time where that was true, right, where you used a pot to go in. I don't know if this is the origin of the phrase, he doesn't have a pot to pee in. And, and for those of you in Arkansas, I want you to understand that, 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 there, that probably came out of Mississippi. In fact, it dated much before that, into the 1500s. In fact, it may go all the way back to the first century. I don't know if you ever heard that statement. I've heard it. He doesn't have a pot to pee in or a window to throw it out of, right? 
But, but this is coming out of this passage of Scripture that, that there is a time when that was true where you used a pot to go in. It's called a chamber pot, right? And, and we don't, today we have indoor plumbing. And it's fantastic to have indoor plumbing. But, but in Paul's day, and until, quite honestly, about 100 years ago, you went in a pot. And that's the picture that Paul is using here. And that's the word picture that's playing out in this illustration he's using with Timothy. And here's the deal. It's not what the pot is made of that counts. Let, let's say you come over to my house. And let's say we were going to have a party at my house. And you showed up early and you said, hey, Alex, is there anything we can do to help? Really, honestly, you wouldn't say that. You would say, Meredith, is there anything that we can do uh, to help? In fact, you would probably encourage me. Alex, you should ask your wife if there's anything you can do to help. But, but you, if you were at my home and I said to you, sure, we need a bowl to put the punch in. And I've got two to choose from. Now, the first one's kind of used and beaten up and scratched, but it works. And the second is very decorative and ornate and really, really nice looking. Which one do you use? Now, let me tell you a little bit more about these two bowls. Okay, the first one has never left my kitchen. And it's washed every single time we use it. And we clean it every single time uh, that it's used. And, and that's what we're kind of referring to here. But the second one is an ancient chamber pot. that was used for people to go to the bathroom in. It looks nice, but, but it's not so nice now, is it? And who wants to use this one for the punch, right? That's the idea that Paul is trying to drive home in, in this passage of Scripture as he's speaking to this younger pastor, Timothy. Now, let's keep reading in verse 21. He, he says, if you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. In other words, no matter what kind of pot you are, gold and silver or wood and clay, as long as what is inside of you is pure, then you will be clean. You can be a nice fancy pot and full of, right, bad stuff. But you can even look like an ordinary pot if you stay pure, you will be ready for the use of God. You'll be ready for the use of the master. That's the difference, by the way, between living an ordinary life and an extraordinary life. If you want to be anything but ordinary, one of the secrets, hear me, is purity. Which is the whole point of Paul's message to Timothy. Timothy, uh, you want to be used for something special, I want you to stay pure. But it's so hard to stay pure, isn't it? Especially in our culture. And I mean, come on. We live in a real world that is after our purity. And, and uh, the, the illustration that I can think of here, several months ago I mentioned to you that when we opened up the pool uh, for the springtime, we, we did it early and we had closed it down perfectly in the fall and closed it down before any of the leaves fell into it. And so there were bushels and bushels of leaves on top of this cover. And me and Meredith and the boys were, were undoing this cover and pulling it back and the water was clear all after all winter the water in the pool was clear and we got to the very end of the pool just three feet from the end of the pool and, and the boys let go ben let go is what eli's trying to say right there on the front row <laughs> and all of these leaves dumped into the pool now i confess to you that there were some things i said in that moment uh, to my son. In fact, I looked at them and said, you just need to go around the corner and let me be mad for a few minutes so that you're not the object of the wrath that is about to happen. Just go. 
And, and, and so they went and they had a huddle, and, and, and I'd explain to you how Meredith is huddling them and, and saying, was that dad's fault? And Ben goes, no, it's mine. And she said, let's not tell him. And, and this whole conversation was playing out. But what I haven't told you about is, are the weeks following that, that we, for weeks, uh, netted leaves out, vacuum leaves out, over and over and over, you vacuum to trash, and we're getting all that stuff out of the pool. But as you take the water to the place where they check the water, one of the things they found is the nitrates are way out of whack. And what nitrates are is food for the algae. Now, we've been through this one summer before, where if you don't get the nitrates right, you will battle it all summer long. And it's not a pleasant experience. It's a battle all summer long to keep algae out of your pool. So we got to get it right. Well, our pool is one of the pools you just can't empty it all the water out of it because you could have a real problem. And so I said, what do we do? They said, well, you drain about a third of the water, and then you fill it all the way back up. And then you bring the water back to us. So we did that. The nitrates moved just a hair. I mean, they went from like 900 to 700. And, and, and so he said, you do it again. So we drained a third of the water and then fill it back up, bring it in and test it. And the thing is, the meter's just not moving on this thing. And, and so I'm saying to the guy, after about four times that we've drained this thing and filled it, drained this thing and filled it, which doesn't happen in, in a matter of minutes. This takes hours and hours and hours, if not a whole day. And so I'm frustrated with the process, and so I end up asking the guy, I said, hey, I feel like what I'm doing is I'm emptying it out, I'm putting water in on the top, and then I'm just emptying out the water on the top. Because the skimmer is sucking the water from the top, I feel like I'm just emptying out the clean water. Should we pull from the main drain at the bottom of the pool? And we're having this whole conversation. He said, I understand what you're asking, but that's not how it works. I said, what do you mean? He said, what you're doing is you're diluting it. And then you dilute the whole thing, the number goes down because you put clean water in it, and then you empty it out, and then you dilute it even more. And he's, he said it's going to take several, several times, but it is not the way you think that the water on top is separate from the water on the bottom. It's all mixed together, and you're diluting the impurities in your pool. And, and the lesson here is this, you just can't empty out your past life. This side of heaven, you can't push erase on the history of your life. You just can't do it, right? You, you can't just pretend that all that stuff didn't happen and all that stuff's not there any more than you can build a time machine and fix it all. You, you can't do it. And, and many of you struggle with the whole thing of purity and, and the whole idea of, uh, idea of purity because you are all or nothing people. And you think that unless you can get all that bad stuff out of your life altogether, that God doesn't have any use for you. But I want you to understand that's not true. You need a better understanding of what it means to be pure biblically. What is true purity? What does it really, really mean? And here's the deal. Going from ordinary to extraordinary involves you understanding two things. And I want you to write these down today. And here's the first one. It's not what you are made of, but what you are made for. Let me say that again. It's not what you were made of, it is what you were made for. Purity is not about the type of material that you're made of, gold, silver, or wood, in this illustration that Paul is giving Timothy. It's what you are made for. What's your purpose? Paul says some things were made for honorable use and, and, and others for dishonorable use. Some are used for noble, some ignoble, right? That's a good old English word there, ignoble, right? And, and, and some of our of us are used for common things, some of us are used for uncommon things. And this whole illustration, he's saying some of these utensils are used for common, some are used for the bathroom. And it didn't really matter what these pots were made of, it, what mattered is what they were made for. 
whether or not you wanted to use them had little to do with what the material they consisted of was, and it had much more to do with what had been done with them in the past. And it's not whether you're rich or poor, high class or low class, ordinary or not. It's not about what job you have or how much money you have. It's not about any of that. It's not what the world says you're made of, but what God has for you. That's what he's trying to communicate. Now look at verse 21. He says, if you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean. That word, keep yourself pure, and, and this honorable use, there, the word there is translated in some of your Bibles as holy. Keep yourself holy. That word is hagiazo in the Greek. It's H-A-G-I-A-Z-O, long O, right? And, and it means holy or separated or set apart. And it literally means to set apart for the worship of God, to set apart for the service of God. And, and it's in the perfect tense, which speaks to two things in the Greek, okay? And, and if you really want to dive into this, you ought to write these two things down that the perfect tense refers to. The first one is a past action. The second one is a present practice. That's what the perfect tense talks about. And, and so in this particular Bible verse, the present tense is pointing to a past action separating him from the world or us from the world. And secondly, a present practice of maintaining that separation. Now, I want you to think through that for a second. A past act of separating us from the world and a present action of maintaining that separation from the world. That's why Paul says in, second, in Philippians chapter 2 to work out your salvation. The perfect tense there is referring to the fact that the salvation is done on the inside of the child of God. In your spirit, man, that has been done. You have been made holy, righteous, pure. Now you work it out. So there is a past action and there is a present maintaining or maintenance of that. And it says, and you will be ready, look at your Bible, and you will be ready for the master, circle that word master, to use you for every good work. That word master in the Greek is the one with undisputed ownership undisputed ownership that that's what God wants in your life and in my life undisputed ownership that we are not flirting with other owners that we are not flirting with other leaders we are not flirting with other lords we have one Lord the master of masters right and God has made you for good work and God has made you and saved you for extraordinary things that word ready You'll be ready for the master's use. It, it literally should be translated prepared. You will be prepared for the master's use. That is the exact same Greek word that Paul used in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2 when he says, no eye has seen, no mind ha has comprehended, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. You will be prepared by God Almighty. Listen, we cannot imagine what God has prepared for us. But we sense it, don't we? We sense it. At times, there, there are times when we're walking with God and we feel close to God that we sense it. That we sense that there is something he is preparing us for. That we sense that there is something noble. We sense that there is something bigger than, than ourselves. Is there within you a sense that God has created you for a great, great, great purpose? 
Let me just say something to the teenagers in the room, because at 14, 15, 16 years old, the temptation is to identify yourself by your friends. The temptation is to identify yourself by your car or, or by your clothes or by your academic ability or by your athletic ability. Th those are easy things to identify yourself by, but there is a struggle at that stage of life to identify yourself by Christ, that my identity comes from Jesus Christ. Listen, and by the way, I don't know of any teenager that doesn't go through that crisis. I don't know of any college student that doesn't go through that crisis. No matter how secure they are, they walk through this journey. And you and I as parents, part of our job is to remind them continually who they are in Jesus Christ. We've got to teach them to think differently about themselves, about how the identity comes from Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to do in our camps this summer, by the way. Your kid needs to be in camp. I cannot tell you. I have not prayed harder about what I will preach in my entire ministry. 20-something years, I have never, never, not one time, prayed longer and harder and more continuously about what I will preach at these camps this summer with these students. You need to get your kids to these camps. I am praying that the Holy Spirit will bring a wrecking ball through these camps and will change kids' lives forever. And part of that wrecking ball will be that the Holy Spirit will pound into the heart of men and women, young teenagers and boys and girls, who they are in Jesus Christ. That the identity and the purpose that God put in them. Listen, there is a temptation at your stage of life as a teenager to bow down to popularity and lay your purpose aside. You mark it down. I worked with teenagers for a long, long time. 99% of the teenagers who are popular have laid their purpose aside for the time being. They are not making progress in the purpose that God has for them. I, I'm just going to say to you, I would lay popularity aside every single time to be on purpose with Jesus Christ. What is your purpose in life? What are you here for? We were meant to be image bearers of God Almighty of the divine design. And we must all come to the place where we ask ourselves, what did God create me for? Who is it that God created me to be? And we have to ask that of our children as well. Who, who are they supposed to be? Because the truth of the matter is, as parents, our kids are not supposed to reflect us. They're supposed to reflect their heavenly father. There's a larger story at play here in, in this world and in the word of God there is a grand redemptive narrative that, that is at play and you and I are parts in it and we have a part or a role in it think about it for a second the Bible does not begin with the fall that's not where the Word of God begins. It doesn't start with all humans have sinned since Adam and Eve that's not where it starts right it starts where it starts at creation Specifically, with you and I being created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make human beings in our image, right? And, and that's the, sh since then, uh, the, the shared purpose of every man and every woman and every child on the planet is the image of God, bearing the image of God. And when Adam and Eve sinned, we got away from that. Why? Because they lost who they were. 
They lost who they were, but Jesus came back into the scene, right? And he corrected that in us. He brought us back and he bought us back. And, and we have to continue living that out, living out our divine design. Listen, th this design was on God's mind for a long, 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 long time. Because he loved us. Paul lays that out in Ephesians 1. D just write this passage down, Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5. And I want to quote it for you today. Even before he made the world. Now think through that for a second. Even before God made the world. That's a long time ago. God loved us. There's enough theology in just the phrase I've just read so far for you and I to pack it up to dwell on that for the rest of our lives. Even before God made the world, he loved us us and he didn't just love us he chose us how in christ for what to be holy and without fault in his eyes that word holy same word as second timothy 2 2 uh, about hagiadzo and about holiness and, and verse 5 listen to what, what he says in this passage of scripture in ephesians 1 god decided let me just help you understand, when God decides, we're not voting. He decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. How? By bringing us to himself. How? Through Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Are, are you understanding how this is playing out and when you keep reading Ephesians 1 by the way what you're going to see is that he blessed us he chose us he adopted us he cleansed us the list goes on and on and on he redeemed us he forgave us he predestined us for greatness all these things L listen the provision that God has given us for our now and for our future is all based on his love for us and, and so I can say before the world today, I can say before God with a clear conscience, I am a child. I have been bought. I have been chosen. I have been adopted. I am an heir. My sin has been taken care of. My sin has been paid for. That's who I am. And today you may feel ordinary and you may be right. Right? We all are ordinary. You are one of seven billion people on the planet. And that can make you feel ordinary and insignificant. But hear me. That your value and your dignity are rooted in the fact that you were created in the image of God. With a high, high, high calling of being his representative on earth. It's only because human beings have such a high value that sin is so tragic. That's why it is so tragic, because of our high value before God. But he restores us to the high endowed purpose at creation. That's what God does, and, and that's what he's doing in us. And in impurity, listen, it comes from forgetting who we are. It comes by misplacing our identity. I, I call it spiritual amnesia. 
and we all get it. We get amnesia as to who we are spiritually, especially when we're younger, trying to figure ourselves out. But even now as adults, it happens all the time to adults as well. Even as a mature Christian, it happens all the time. We forget who we are at times. And when we forget who we are, it can be debilitating in our walk. It can be debilitating in our life. We need to keep coming back to this, our identity in Christ Jesus, because it's not what we're made of. It's what we're made for. Second aspect of purity I want you to understand today is this. It's not what you're made of, but it's what's in you. What are you made of, right? When you think through what are are you made of? I went this week to Glenley School, which I've done with I think all three of the children before her, where we dissected sharks. I I don't enjoy it. Uh, It's really smelly. And, uh, and so, I, but I've done it because all the kids want to do it. And, and there's a stage where the dissection, because the kids get bored and we finish the whole process, that it turns into mutilation. And, and uh, with scalpels and scissors and, and all of that. And now we're just, you know, just cutting up the babies that we found within the shark. And, we're, and, and just the, the list just goes on and on. We're pulling eyeballs out. We're pulling the brain out. And, and we're just going through this whole process. And... and Limley, looking at the shark, asked this question the other day. She said, does the uh, entrails, the the guts and the intestines and all, does it go to heaven? I said, honey, you're looking at it right here. It's right here. It didn't go to heaven. And and, and so we're having this whole conversation about what part goes to heaven, what part doesn't go to heaven. But when you think about what you're made of, listen, you got skin and hair and teeth and blood and guts and, and all of that. And you could go deeper than that. There's carbon, right? And there's water and the other elements and there's organs and tissue. And it's just stuff, right? It's just stuff. All, all of that is just stuff. But what does the Bible tell us that we're made of? The Bible tells us that you and I are made of dirt. That, that we were made out of the dust of the ground. You go back to the creation story, right? We were just there in Genesis 1. But it's Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 that says, Then the Lord God formed us from the dust of the ground. In other words, God bent over and he scooped up a bunch of mud and he started forming it. And he arranged all of the muscles and the tendons and the bones and it was awesome. And and that's what we're made of. But in the end, when you die, you go back to being dirt. That's why in the ancient funerals they would say dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Listen, your life is not about what you are made of. It's so much more than that. Listen. Genesis chapter 2, the verse goes on after he formed us. It says he breathed he breathed into us what the breath of life into man's nostrils and the man then became a living person write that phrase down breath of life in in the english uh, it's just one word for breath but but in, in the hebrew the word is ruach or ruach. It means two different things. It means breath and spirit. Same things too in the Greek. The, the word is pneuma, right? Where, that's where we get the word pneumatic, like a, a, a pressured hammer or a jackhammer. The, pneuma. It, it, again, one word, two meanings. Breath and spirit. 
What's true in the Hebrew is also true in the Greek. It's not the same in the English. And and I'm asking you, are you getting this? That Adam was not Adam because of what he was made of. He was Adam because of what was inside of him. The spirit of God. The breath of life. Even Jesus, who came onto this planet Earth, he took on ordinary skin to do an extraordinary work. He was holy. He was separated for God's good work. What Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.2, and that good work for Jesus was the work on the cross. And Jesus lived out this authentic and undefiled life in ordinary skin. And Jesus performed extraordinary miracles in ordinary skin. And Jesus taught us extraordinary things in ordinary skin. And then Jesus' ordinary body hung on an ordinary cross. And he was beaten and he was bruised. And he took on an extraordinary punishment so that we could receive an extraordinary relationship and salvation with him. And when you choose to follow after Jesus Christ, and you choose to give your whole life to him, he puts his spirit in you. He puts his breath into you, and that's when you finally actually begin to live. So how is it that we start to live? What's the beginning of an anything but ordinary life? Go back to 2 Timothy. In chapter 2, take a look at verse 19, and he says, And all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In other words, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from evil. Meaning when you turn away from evil, you are turning to the name of the Lord. Away from evil to the name of the Lord. How many of you have turned away from evil, right? And so the question then is a child of God who has turned away from evil and turned toward the name of the Lord. Why all of a sudden are are, are you living for evil again? Why are you living for what was and what you turned away from? Why are you camped out there? Look down at verse 22, and look what Paul says there to Timothy. Run away from anything that stimulates youthful lust. In other words, elementary things in life, those things you used to desire. You're not that anymore. Stop pursuing those things now in your life. You have turned away from those things. Instead, he says, pursue righteous living. Pursue faithfulness, pursue love and peace. Now watch this because there is a theological huge truth here. That as children of God, we don't just turn away from evil. We don't just run from evil. We turn to the name of the Lord and we are pursuing righteousness. That that most of us were taught the Christian life is all about fleeing and all about running and all about temptation and all about get out of that mess and get away from that nonsense. there, There is a truth to that. There are times the most spiritual thing you can do as a child of God is to run. Just to get out of Dodge. But most of our Christian life that you and I and our culture and because of the way we were raised and the way we were taught, we miss the greatest impact of Christianity is not in the turning away from and the fleeing. It is in the pursuing of righteousness. That you're not just fleeing, you're pursuing. You're finding something new to proclaim over your life. And here's the question I want you to ask today. Why are you living in what was proclaimed over you before? Why would you get under that? In fact, let me ask you that question today. What proclamation are you living under? The world's proclamation or heaven's proclamation? 
In other words, what has been spoken to you or about you that you are still living under? What, what was it when the judge decreed it's final? You're divorced. And somehow that, that has become for you the immovable object in your life. That, that it is somehow the governor on how much hope you have for the future. It's a big word, divorce. I know, it's a, it's a huge word. And there are a lot of ramifications that come with that word. But if Jesus did not speak that word over your life, let me guarantee you this, it's not the last word spoken over you. It is possible for new words to be proclaimed over your life. It's possible for new purposes to be proclaimed over your life. It is possible for new realities to be placed on your life. Here's why. Jesus gets the last word. He always gets the last word. And maybe that was the last thing, divorce, that you thought you were ever going to hear proclaimed over your life. But if Jesus hasn't proclaimed that word that you're living under now, listen, it's not the last word. Jesus always gets the last word over the lives of his children. Cancer, not the last word. Fierce and ferocious it may be, but it will never get the last word over a believer's life. Cancer never gets the last word over the life of a child of God. Abuse will not get the last word. Abandonment will not get the last word. Failure will not get the last word. Hopelessness will not get the last word. Rejection, fear, frustration, brokenness, death, none of those get the last word in the life of a child of God. Never. And, and what about this one? I've heard this about 15 times in the last six months. The word over me, pastor, is single. Which is different at different stages of life, right? Because at 18, that's an okay word in, in your life. Unless you follow Ted Cunningham's practice, right? Uh, that, that, that at 18, it's a good thing. To be single but later in life and a later stage in life it begins to be a big definer if you let it because there's an age at which your grandmother starts sending you prophetic words right and single in your mind has taken its place as the last word that's going to be spoken over you it's not the last word that will be spoken over you because Jesus gets the last word Jump down to verse 25 and look at verse 25. He says, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God, underline that in your Bible as the subject in that sentence, will change two lines under that because that's the verb in that sentence. God will change those people's hearts. How many of you know that it's God's job to change people's hearts? You and I can't change people's hearts. There are times in the lives of my children. There are times in the lives of my staff. There are times in the lives of people I love and care for that I look at it and I go, that's not my work. The work required there is the work of the Holy Spirit. I can't do that. God, I need you to do that. Perhaps God will change their hearts and they will learn the truth. What amazing truth there. That repentance is a gift from God that we receive. We don't just act out in repentance. We receive repentance. It's a gift from God. That God will give them the gift of repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. What's the truth? The truth is there's a different proclamation over your life. Why? Because you're a child of God. The devil has been lying to you. He has been giving you this false proclamation over your life. Look at verse 26. Then 
they will come to their senses. And they will escape the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Listen, you think there's not spiritual warfare and that spiritual warfare is not reality? You're not paying attention. By the way, if I were going to err on this, I would err on looking for a devil under every rock. Than ignoring him. I would much rather be prepared walking in the armor on the blood of Jesus under the authority of the name of Christ and saying that was of the enemy and I'm not going to accept it than to turn and be stabbed in the back. And here let me tell you something about the enemy. He's not just God's enemy, he's your enemy. And the Bible says he is seeking and he is roaming and he has reigned to look for the children of God who are not walking under the authority of God. And what he does well is rewind. He is a rewind artist. And he wants you and me as the children of God to rewind all the past chapters of our story. And the amazing thing about it is that somehow you and I willingly participate in this. While God is wanting to write a new chapter, he has the pen in his hand, and he is willing, and he is able. And listen, he's not erasing the past, but he is turning the page. And he is trying to write something beautiful, something full of restoration, and something full of hope, and full of his comeback power. And you can begin that story here and now. You're not forgotten. You're very much on God's radar. You're not abandoned. He's very much for you today. You're not forsaken. God Almighty is on your side. It is not too late. You are never too far from him to to hear his voices. And I told you, uh, this is the truth according to Scripture. But if I were to step up here today and I were to say to you, hey, if you just pray a prayer, all of it will go away. All the consequences negated and everything would change. All your problems will go away. If you just pray a prayer, you, you would know I'm not being honest with you. Because a lot of us walking in the gift of repentance means walking out the consequences. And what we're doing is rebuilding broken things. And, and some of those broken things will never come back together. H- hear me. As I tell you the truth, this this may not be what you hear on CBN, but it's the truth of of world that you and I live in today. There's some things that are not going to be put back together because of the sin that played out in it. Your your ex-wife who is now remarried and has a bunch of new children with her new husband and lives in another state, that's not ever coming back together. It's not coming back together. But from this point forward and from this moment moving ahead, the ultimate resurrection story of all time, namely that of Jesus Christ, can join you in your story and can walk with you and through you in this story. Listen, from what was broken to what will be restored. He will walk with you, he will walk in you, and he will be enough for you, more than enough for you, for that page to turn. The enemy, listen, I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt, he is pressing in on some of you today, on some of our campuses today, and he's telling you, you tried this before. 
Don't listen to that, Pastor. You tried this. It, it did not work before. That man on that stage does not know what you've done. He does not know your story. L listen to me. I may not know your story. But I want you to hear me today when I tell you Jesus is dead serious about this. He's so serious, he was willing to become dead for this. And the enemy, that same enemy, did not know that when Jesus was crucified, that guilt was finished. He, he did not know that when Jesus was crucified, shame was done, condemnation was over, the grave was conquered. Listen, they did not know all the old purposes were being destroyed, that he had defeated hell, and that the gate of heaven had been opened up. He did not know that the kingdom of God was going to come and a way would be made for every generation on this planet. They did not know that all their laughing and taunting and jeering at the Son of God was going to come to a screeching halt when God the Father called his son up to be triumphant over death, hell, and the grave, over all power, over all shame, over all sin, over all condemnation. They did not know that the bride of Christ would gather and would sing a brand new song. And the enemy, the devil, may be laughing at you right now, but that's because you have not heard Jesus say over you, join me in my noble purposes. Get off that victim path and get over here in the path of the victor. You are my son, and you are my daughter, and you are my father friend and I am with you and I am for you to live a life that is anything but ordinary would you pray with me and will you participate with him today and let me just say to you if you're here today You've never trusted Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, to give your life to Christ. That is your next step. That is the step that he is destined for you to take. doesn't matter what campus you're at today. You want to trust Christ and give your life to Jesus. I, I want to lead you in a prayer. And I'll pray it one phrase at a time so that you can simply repeat this after me. But I want to help you cross that line. To trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. So right where you're seated, today at Battle Creek, in the chapel, at Midtown, at Downtown, South Tulsa, in DePage, and in Cairo, or watching online. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, would you pray with me and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but today I ask you to forgive me for all my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. In the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin, and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. Thank you for saving me. I receive it. I just want to ask if you would stand at all of our campuses today. Would you just stand? And I want you to join with me in this proclamation. And I don't know if this is in the outline that I gave you. Did I give you a proclamation in the outline? I want you to get that out. 
No, there's a card. Yeah, there's a card. Get that card out. At every campus, take that card. And I I want you just to read it. And obviously, I'm going to say my name, and there's going to be male pronouns because it's me. If you're a female, use female pronouns. But I want you to proclaim today the truth on this card. And let's begin by saying my name is. Okay, here we go. My name is Alex Hamaya. I am the chosen and adopted child of the Most High King. I am an heir to the eternal inheritance waiting for me in heaven. I have been bought and completely paid for by the perfect sacrifice of Christ's own blood and sealed throughout all eternity by God's Holy Spirit. Don't mess with me. Would you speak that proclamation over yourself every day this week? The reason I put it on a card instead of the outline is so that you could have something nice to lay beside your desk or to lay beside your nightstand or to put in the mirror uh, in your bathroom. Now I want you to bow your heads and let me say a blessing over you this morning. And I want you to hear me and I want you to receive this blessing over your spirit this morning. Your Father made you special. He created you and crafted you and designed you. He planned for you. You are no accident. He made you beautiful and beloved. God invested an incredible amount of time and effort and concentration in designing you. He smiled on the day that he created you. He designed you for a spiritual heritage. He has a purpose for you, and I bless you today with everything God designed you to be. I bless you today in knowing the things your Father has called you to know. I bless you today in doing the things that He has called you to do. I celebrate the beauty that God has nurtured in you today. And Father, today we thank you. That the enemy's word over us is not the last word that will be spoken. That you are writing a story. That death is not the last word. That addiction is not the last word. That separation is not the last word. That mental illness is not the last word. That failure, impurity, collapse, loss, the grave. Listen, we look to you, Lord, and we lean on and we trust you to turn the page for us and to lead us into something new. In the strong and mighty and matchless name of Jesus, we all pray and say amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord today for truth?